Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host, Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and four things up for review this week. First up, it's Shazam! Fury of the Gods, then it's the new series Swarm, then a new movie with Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda called Moving On, and finally, a new streaming movie about the Boston Strangler called Boston Strangler. First up is Shazam! Fury of the Gods, and... I only have the vaguest of recollections about the first film. I don't think it was that memorable. I recall being somewhere between ambivalent to, you know, on a more positive note, mildly amused by some of the antics. I do think by the time we get to this second film, I am head scratching a whole bunch as to what went so right. I mean, mildly wrong to extremely wrong because there are a couple of things we'll address. But I do appreciate that as a whole, DC films tend to skew on the darker side and Shazam was a more buoyant entry into their universe and it felt more accessible and less depressing. And, you know, at the time it was a bit overly saccharine for me. And, and I know they're courting that sort of youth audience, which I don't fall into anymore, sadly. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, is it too off-putting for adults? And I don't think that's necessarily the case. But the attempts to be relevant, but if, when a film is in production for so long and, you know, they're participating in trends that feel already antiquated by the time it exits the screen. You know, I recall, I think it was a bunch of the promo stuff, but it was still in the film. They're flossing in it. And by the time it came out, I was like, oh, I guess that's a thing kids still do, right? I don't know. It's It's tough to make something feel evergreen when it is aimed at, you know, current youth evolving culture. So I think they tried a little too desperately in this one. They didn't lean as much into like the active trending things. You know, the first one had a lot of social. Okay, maybe I do remember more about the first one than I recall, but a lot of things about being on social media and all that stuff. And and this one has dialed that back considerably. But I feel like on the first one, they may have legitimately enjoyed being on set or have been having fun. And by the time that we get to Fury of the Gods, they are forcing that down our throats and I'm like oh this feels like you are trying to sell yourself and trying to sell us too hard on what a joyous occasion and ride it was and how much we're a shazamily by the way they said that 200,000 times at the Hall H panel and I was just like okay this is you tr- stop trying to make fetch happen which is a reference the youths will hopefully get but you know so shazam fury of the gods do you need to have seen the first film to get this one probably not necessarily because these are relatively uh, surface level heroes you know there is a complicated backstory to them but the way that the films have approached them and also this film takes a moment in the beginning to just go for it uh but yeah it's a bunch of kids who have superpowers that you know when they say when they say shazam they turn into these godlike figures and have powers and all this stuff and what I liked about the first one as well is that, you know, it's a story of a kid in the foster care system who finds a found family. And I do think there was a bit more of an emotional core about feeling like an outsider and, and you know, trying to find acceptance and not feeling what, you know, there, there were themes there. For this one, they just sort of gloss over a lot of that. They they touch on it maybe once or twice, but even though it's all about this family dynamic, you know, I suppose, yes, you should have seen the first one in order to understand that, but this one just dives right in. And then the biggest question I've been asking myself is, how did they get Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu to agree to be in this? It also has Rachel Zegler, but with no disrespect to her, you know, she's newer to the scene. It's a big hero movie. I could understand why she's like, yeah, okay, of course I'll be in Shazam. But Helen Mirren, Lucy Liu, what did the script read so much better on paper than it ended up being in the film? You know, these could theoretically be fun, meaty roles because they are playing the antagonists. But I, they, like, I just, I was not entertained by this film. The action just drags on and on and on. For a film that is basically two hours long, it feels much longer, which is disconcerting. Or two hours and ten minutes, but... 
you know, I, I think, again, the joy has kind of been sucked out of the franchise. I Part of me wonders, I feel like this was probably already wrapped by the time all the DC shakeups happened, but, you know, did more of that play into it? I, you know, I, I don't know what magic was lost between this one and the last one. I mean, I do because I've identified several of the problems, but I don't know what drove them to remove some of the key emotional points from this storyline and like the, the bread and butter of why we are connected to these characters. And they thought like, I, I don't know if they thought the action would be enough or they thought that the names of Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu would be enough. I just, I am left puzzled and bewildered as to the choices. Uh, the effects are fine, I suppose. The acting is, ugh, I you know. Zachary Levy it seems like the right choice for a character, you know, the, the adult manifestation of a, a child or a teen character. But, I man, he was getting under my skin in this one. And I, I will acknowledge some of it, probably the scripting and the how-do-you-do-fellow-youthness of it. But overall, you know, I don't see a particularly compelling reason to go see this. I suppose if your kids are really clamoring. But that's the other thing, right? So I don't think it's for young, young kids necessarily. And I feel like by the time you are maybe like of appropriate age to see this, you're already going to be off put by the attempts to pander to you. And then for adults who don't have kids or just, you know, general moviegoers or superhero fans and stuff like that, because they have peppered all of that in, it feels a little off putting. And so, you know, you're effectively potentially alienating the majority of your audiences. So I don't know who they were trying to make this movie for, <laughs> but Overall, I you know, I was just really, really bored by it. So I'm going to give it a 2.7 out of 5. I'm going to take a quick break and be right back. And I'm back. The next thing I have this week is a new Amazon Prime series called Swarm. And it is inspired by, I, I don't want to get this completely right. It's inspired by effectively a rumor that surrounded Beyonce. And I don't think the rumor is necessarily true, but uh, either way, this is drawing from, clearly drawing from the Beehive. Um, you know, it centers around a character who's obsessed with a female pop icon or pop slash hip hop icon. Uh, the fictional character's name is Nyjah, but it is very obviously a Beyonce-esque character. And, you know, uh, uh, the series of extreme things that fans have done or do when they are inspired by a person, I, you know, I think it's sort of curating from multiple experiences and I don't know how many of them are real and how many of them are, you know, rumor and all that stuff. But it's it's an amalgamation of these. At least that was my understanding of it. Dominique Fishback plays Dre, who is the obsessive uh, fan, and she does such a good job in this. Like for her alone, I think it's worth watching. Uh, Chloe Bailey plays one of her best friends or her best friend, Marissa. And then there are a bunch of uh, uh, guest stars who I don't want to mention because it was more shocking and interesting to see them play out and the roles they played. I This show was doing a lot of things and I would have potentially preferred if they'd explored like there are a bunch of different episodes in different styles and I almost wish that they had mixed up the styles more because the first chunk of the season or I don't even know if it's a limited series or whatever it's going to be but the first chunk of it is very similar and then suddenly it starts breaking away and I'm sure it's intentional and it's a question of you know what is real what is not um all these things but I think for Dominique Fishback alone this is worth watching I am someone who you know has the utmost respect for Beyonce and uh you know her fandom I don't think I'm effectively like a, a proper member of the Beehive but I again I 
understand fandom to a degree, not to the extreme that this show is presenting. But from that perspective, it's really interesting. You know, again, the the variety of things that they draw from that are either inspired by real life or, or you know, might actually be real life. And then they've just changed some of the, the bits and bobs to not get sued. But, you know, it's, it's a slower start to get in. And it's probably going to be a little uh, jarring when you first watch it. But I eventually, you know, it's always weird to say like, oh, yeah, give yourself two or three episodes of a show. And yes, the job of the first episode is to grab you. But I think with the structure of streaming shows, you know, it's so different now because they know you're just going to click the next one. And when they drop it all at once, it, it's just different than, uh, you know, a show airing on broadcast or something like that. So I think it's actually worth checking out for the performances alone. Um, the story itself, again, uneven, but uh, just the, the lengths that this character will go to are fascinating. And then you know, watching the show try and create a Beyonce-esque character is also interesting. I don't know if enjoyed it is the right word, but I definitely found myself compelled to keep watching it. So I'm going to give it a three out of five. And then next up, I have a film starring Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda called Moving On. And this week went from sort of buoyant superhero, you know, juvenile, whatever, to it's just going to get dark. But yeah, so it's a very short movie. It's labeled as a comedy. I don't know if that's correct. I think it's a comedy slash drama. Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin play estranged friends who uh, reunite as um, to basically extract revenge upon the uh, widower of one of their other dear friends. And then it's them trying to extract said revenge. It's a tight hour and 25 minutes you are going to watch this movie because you like the two of them you know I think the concept behind it it's funny because after seeing 80 for Brady which was their last collaboration I was like oh man I'd really love a crime heist or crime caper starring the two of them actually starring the four of them but this is a effectively you know attempting to be a crime heist and I don't know if I this wasn't exactly what I was looking for it's written and directed by Paul Weitz who did about a boy which I absolutely love he also did American Pie admission he was the exec producer on Mozart in the jungle so it's all all over the place tonally but I you know I I think it was interesting him trying to because we have so many preconceived notions about the relationship between the two of them uh, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda you know I think Grace and Frankie did a really good job of cementing the modern interpretation of them but even since nine to five you know we have a very strong vision of the two of them I think this movie is very smart about how it plays on that but gives them a little bit of room to play outside of their normal sort of like oh Lily Tomlin is the one the forgetful one who you know is high all the time or whatever it is or Jane Fonda's the sex pot you know it gives them a little bit of room wiggle room on either end but at the end of the day you're still watching Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin but that's not a bad thing it also has Malcolm McDowell and Richard Roundtree which you know I thought both they both did an excellent job like I said it's labeled as a comedy but it definitely covers some pretty dark subjects in some ways it's a a multiverse successor to nine to five in terms of what some of the characters in it have gone through or like, you know, if they hadn't succeeded in uh, stopping the bosses in nine to five. Anyway, I don't want to give too much away, but I feel like there could have been more out of it. Honestly, I thought it was a fine watch, but I, it's mostly based on the strength of the two of their dynamic and just wanting to watch anything new with the two of them. So if you are that level of fan, I think this is a pretty decent performance out of them. If you are, you know, someone who is, uh, maybe not as familiar with their work. I don't think I would. This is the thing I would rush to say. I'd watch, say, watch a nine to five, watch a Grace and Frankie. Even watching eighty for Brady is more joyous than this is. But overall, I you know it's it's watchable, and I'm gonna give it a three out of five. 
The last thing I have this week is a streaming movie called Boston Strangler. It's out on Hulu, and it is about the journalists covering the Boston Strangler murders. It stars Kiera Knightley and Carrie Coon, who are interesting choices to pick as Bostonians, but I'm grateful that at least they didn't try and go for like a Mark Wahlberg-esque Boston accent, although you can tell that there's at least Kiera is kind of straining to do the American accent in this, and the fact that I was distracted by it tells you how compelling the story was. Uh, it's also got Alessandro Nivola, Chris Cooper. And the thing that was, I, I think, most disappointing to me about this is, you know, it's a crime movie. It was a real life event. It is about targeting women, which I, I, I am a woman. Uh, you know, we live in pretty scary times, honestly, right now. And so the fact that I didn't feel any sense of danger during this for the characters, for myself, you know, any of that stuff, you know, there's so much in the source material that is ripe for the picking. And so you think it should be an easy you rely on tropes to make the audience feel tense moment. And the fact that they sort of diffused it themselves was, I'm not gonna say disconcerting, but it just felt like, what, what are you doing here? This is being handed to you. How did you kind of squander this opportunity? I think it spent a lot of time trying to build little tension moments, but instead of, I, I think it may have been better served building to one larger tension moment and then revealing things and how things panned out. You know, I am not someone who was super familiar with how the Boston Strangler story goes, went, etc. And so I was a receptive audience or, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, here's a here's a crime that I don't know a ton about. Scare me a little bit and then resolve it, which is always my favorite when it's like, yes, they are caught. And, uh, you know, Zodiac is an excellent example of a journalism based serial killer you know movie and and unfortunately this comes nowhere near zodiac or even a, a pale compare even one of the signs of the zodiac it's it's one twelfth, which is a bummer because i do appreciate that it's female-led yeah i it just felt like it was trying to incorporate too many things and maybe that's a byproduct of the story it's covering but it didn't do it efficiently. There were things it could have spent less time on. There were parts of it that I would have preferred it extrapolated on, but it just sort of glossed over. This may have actually been better as a series, honestly. Uh, thinking of something like Dahmer. Not that Dahmer is the greatest, but I did think that drawing some of the tension out, some of the maybe red herrings out into multiple episodes might have served them better than trying to actually just sort of rush through it and not spend enough time on the things that would have potentially been more engaging. So overall, you know, if you're a true crime junkie and you have nothing else left to watch, this is a fine background watch, but I don't think anyone's going to be necessarily, unfortunately, you know, being like, oh my God, Boston Strangler, like, did you know, or I learned something new, except for maybe the fact that it's, you know, female reporters covering it. But yeah, so unfortunately, I'm going to give it a 2.6 out of 5. That has been it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing. And also adding on to this, if you could tell your friends, that'd be lovely. Thanks so much.